0: Of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.cornerstone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Well, this was a big weekend. If you are a football band fan whatsoever, and no matter what your team is, that this was the beginning, you know, starting Thursday night and then some more games Friday night and Saturday. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things we've all been waiting for that. I think if you are a big baseball fan, you were even more anticipating football season because the Braves just haven't done a whole bunch. And so it's one of those, there's been this dry spell. And so here we were just waiting for Thursday night and, and the games that were yesterday. And, uh, you know, as much as we were, ready for it I, I promise you that those players and those coaches were ready for it because you know there's only so many game fills there's only so many times you can go through the playbook there's only so many times that you can do the foundation and the, the the theoretical before you just want to get out there and play i coached a lot of different sports and, and from the very first practice the kids would come in and you know what the first question that they would always say are we going to scrimmage tonight? I mean, they forget dribbling, forget this, passing, all these other things. They just want it The you know, forget the basics. We just want to go play. And, you know, the Christian life is a lot like that. I mean, there's, there's a part of us that, that we very much want foundational truth, and we know that we need foundational truth. We, we need to know how to do life. And at the same time, we get in this mode sometimes where we say, okay, can we just have three easy steps to be a better husband? Four for better ways to do parenting or whatever it might be. And we just kind of want this checklist because it's just so practical. But folks, we need that foundational truth. And that's what we've been studying about the last several weeks. We've been studying about how God has given us in this world that's filled with a, a lot of deception. And not everything that you see out there is true. Not everybody who says this is right, is that really right? And, and so we live in this world and we need foundational truth. And we need to have this discernment. And so we have been pretty much more methodical than we have been practical in the approach the first couple weeks. Well, we've been pretty much like those football teams that did not go out there and scrimmage day one, but, but sat in the coach's office and kind of said, okay, here's, here's how you do this and here's how you do that. And, and so far we've been looking at the uh, ability to go out there and live life. There will be a practical time that we put all this truth into place. You know, a lot of the games this past uh, Thursday night and and yesterday, they were blowouts. Let's just call them what they were. You know, uh, the first game oftentimes is is a a team that is not quite as accomplished as you are so that you go out there and kind of get the motor running a little bit. And we saw that in the Georgia Tech game. Saw that yesterday in the Georgia game, the Florida game, you know, a lot of different games where they were really on the field, they were just a much uh, superior team than the other ones. And yet there was one or two close games, and I don't know if anybody saw the BYU game. Anybody see that game? Uh, it, probably a lot, a lot of BYU fans here on okay, K-Jimmy did. Okay. And, and so, you know, you're watching that game, and they're playing Nebraska in Nebraska. Nebraska is, is, supposed, to, is supposed to win, and, and yet as that game went on, BYU just kept on coming back. They were leading for a, a, a little bit, and then Nebraska came back. Well, all to say that it came down to the final play of the game. And, and there wasn't a person in that stadium that didn't know what play was going to be called. Basically, BYU down, you know, needs to score. The only chance that they get because they're about midfield is to do what's called a Hail Mary where you just, you send everybody deep and you, the quarterback throws it as far as he can and just hopes that one of the receivers receives the ball in the end zone and scores a touchdown. Well, everybody, I promise you, everybody in the whole stadium knew that that play was coming. And yet in that pressure moment, Went off just his plan. Quarterback gets the ball. He goes back. I mean, he just heaves the ball as far as he can. And there's a receiver down there, several in the end zone, but one kind of right on the goal line, receives the ball, scores the touchdown, and BYU won. Now, folks, I I share that story with you not just because I'm a big football fan. It was kind of an exciting thing in a weekend where there weren't a whole bunch of exciting games. But I wanted to use that as an illustration this morning. So, those guys had been out there with all the theoretical. They had been watching the films. Been, but in that pressure moment, after learning all these foundational things about playing football, they had to play the play. And I don't know if you, Jimmy, if you were listening, but the, the commentator said this afterwards. Well, it's one of those, well, duh, you know, moments when the commentator said, well, next time they run that play, Nebraska may want to have somebody in front of the receiver. Duh like Mr. Captain Obvious there, you know? Of course, when you watch that, and I guarantee you that every one of those defenders knew that they should have people behind, you know, the receivers and also in front of them on a play like that. But folks, in a pressure situation, sometimes you forget the fundamentals. You get so excited, you kind of get so involved. And that happens to Christians, even when we know foundational truth. Even though you and I would gladly say, yes, we believe that the Bible, for example, is God's truth. So that was week one. What we're doing is building a slow and methodical, for some of you, maybe a little bit too slow and maybe a little bit too methodical. But I promise you, there's a purpose in this. Folks, if we don't understand that what we have right before us is God's truth, then in those days that we're kind of shaking, even in our faith, Well, where are we going to come back to know that this is always true, that we open it up and that God's word is just going to always be true, not most of the time true, not true when other skeptics say that it's true, but that it's always true. Because there will be moments in your life, there's certainly been moments in my life when I have opened up God's word and my heart and my head said something else because of emotions, because of feelings, because of logic. And so we began to see that first week that God's truth is truth. And we begin to see that the the ultimate truth of God's word really tells us about two great truths in life. The truth about ourselves and the truth about God. You know, it is all centered on the person of Christ. From day one, from the first book we have, the gospel really presented to us. And yet the gospel, really, when you begin to think about it, is really telling us the truth about who we are as humans, God's creation, and who he is as the creator. And this loving creator who not only created us, but loved us and sent to us a Redeemer through Jesus Christ. I mean, mankind you know, has forever drawn pictures, painted pictures, and, and asked these questions. Who is God and who is man? And so we've been looking the last couple of weeks about how the, you know, the Word of God tells us exactly who we are. Sometimes the Word of God actually tells us things about ourselves that we really don't want to know. You know, I, I had a guy... You know, it wasn't preaching to him until it stepped on his toes. And it was one of those things I'm going, you know, okay, I'm just not a toe-stepping kind of preacher all the time. But the Word of God certainly will give us that kind of correction. But here's the great thing. Even when God begins to step on our toes, even when he shows us the reality that we are depraved people without him, that there really is no hope in our own efforts to save ourselves, the Bible tells us about who this God is. That he loved us so much. He is a God of wrath. Is he a God of wrath? Yes. Is he a God of justice? Yes. He's a God of great love. And, and we see in this word that he has is, he is sent to us a redeemer in Christ his son. I love that, that you know, John 3.16 was the, the verse that was picked out. You know, it kind of centers on this gospel truth of who God is. He so loved the world that he sent his one and only son to die in our place. So we looked at that truth, and then last week we began to, to look about how in all this mix, there's an adversary, calling him the, the devil, calling him Satan, calling him whoever you want, whatever name that you want to put there. And we went back all the way to Genesis chapter 3, and we look at the original humans, Adam and Eve, and how in Genesis chapter 3, from the very beginning, we see this adversary coming in, trying to be put down to those first two truths, the truth about God's word, the truth about the nature of God, and the truth about our own nature. Remember last week, if you were here last week, Genesis chapter 3, Satan comes up and the first thing that he gets, kind of tries to do with Eve is, okay, did God really say that? You know, she's there in the garden, God said not to eat from that tree. And the first thing that this deceiver, this liar does is come up and say, you know, do you really believe the truth of God's word? Did he really say that? Well, Eve kind of comes back and says, well, you know, he he said this, and she even mixes it up a little bit. That seed of doubt began to make her doubt. And then we saw that second truth attacked. All of a sudden, she began to not only doubt, you know, the word of God and what God said, but she began to doubt really even the nature of God, you know, and and her own nature. Remember that in chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, that we see God described as Lord God. And it wasn't just that the author decided to put Lord God in there. The Lord part is Yahweh, the personal covenant nature of God. And then we see that in chapter 4. But in chapter 3 in this little discourse, when the serpent, when Satan is talking with Eve, he leaves out the whole Lord part. He says, okay, there is a creator, but he's not this personal covenant God. Folks, there's a lot of people out there in the world today that will tell you, well, I believe in God. But have they personalize it? Do they really know this Redeemer God? Do they really know a God who has sent a redeeming work through His Son, Jesus Christ? It's not just enough for us to go around and go, you know, I kind of believe in God. I would hope that if you just kind of evaluate anything that you knew that you didn't get here by mistake, that you didn't get here, you know, by your own makings, and somewhere there is a Creator. But that's not enough for saving faith. There's a lot of people that are going to believe in a God of nature, but never trust the redeeming work. And so that's what we've been studying the last couple of weeks. And and we see from the very beginning that Satan himself began to attack the core of, did God say this? Is God's word really true? The question about God and his nature. Is he really a good God? Why would he tell you not to eat from this tree? And even the nature of themselves. Remember what Eve said in the response? She says, "Well, well, God did tell us not to eat of this tree. And Satan filled right in. And so the reason why he said that is because if you ate from that tree, you'd become just like him. Well, we know that that's not true. And yet that was the lie, that was the deception that was going on. Now, folks, I I give you all that because I want you to understand there's a purpose of us really having in, in our minds and our hearts good foundational truth. There's a purpose for kind of, you know, going through the playbook, going through the theory because when the pressure comes on, just like in that BYU game yesterday, all of a sudden we're, we're going to draw upon do we know foundational truth or not. I, see, there's no doubt to me that most of you here this morning, if not every one of us, would believe certain truths about God. For example, as we'll look at today in God's Word, that, that God is sovereign, that he's really overall. Would you believe that this morning, that God is a sovereign God? And yet, has there ever been a time, you don't have to say this out loud or raise your hand, has there ever been a time that you doubted the work of God? That you couldn't see the goodness? We just sang that everything that God does, He works for our good, and He's working for His glory. Everything that happens is, is for our good and for His glory. We don't see that. I promise you, there are tragedies in our lives when the farthest thing that we see by that circumstance, by that event, is good for us, much less the glory. And so here we are, believing in a theory, God is sovereign, He's good. And yet in our own personal lives, there certainly can be those times when we question that, when we debate that, that we would even run away from that truth. That's why we need to know foundational truth. Because our mind and our heart oftentimes will just deceive us. It will leave us without the complete picture. That's why we need to know foundational truth. So today we're going to go to John chapter 19 and 18. Like I said, we're going to be kind of skipping around through uh, all the Gospels only because as we look at the story of Christ being presented to Pilate, or Pilate you know, making the decision and really uh, bringing forth a trial of Christ before Pilate, uh, to get the whole picture, we kind of have to see everything. And, and I don't know if this is what it looked like or not. You know? I think that's probably much more of an Americanized Jesus there than, 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 the, than the actuality. But you kind of get the picture. The Jewish leaders, wanting to get rid of Jesus, they they bring Jesus and they put him before Pilate. The reason they do that is because they did not have the ability to get rid of Jesus themselves. The Romans were the authority of that day. And so because they had the authority, they had the authority pretty much to, to, to say what happened, especially when it came to crucifixion, when it came to taking one's life. The Jewish people didn't have that ability. So they brought Jesus before them, and uh, Pontius Pilate, as you might know him, he was the governor over Israel from 26 A.D. 26 to A.D. 36. And, and so they bring Jesus before him, and, and Pilate is probably the last person in earth that we would really go to as an example of how to discern truth. I, I mean, I think it's a very valid point on one hand for you to say, Bobby, why are we go into somebody who more than likely was not even a Christian? to see the example of how to respond to a world and how to have discernment in a world filled with deception. Well, here's the reason. When we are in here and we ask the question, do you believe in a sovereign God? Yes. Do you believe in a God that really is always working things for our good and for His glory? Yes. But folks, when it comes to that pressure time, when we're out there and it really is, there's one second on the clock and all of a sudden this horrendous thing happens in our life, All of a sudden, in that moment, even the best of Christians kind of get their world shaken a little bit. And so this is what Jesus said. Remember what he said about worry? He said, don't worry. But how many of you have ever worried? Yeah. So just because it's truth... And we would read in there, in that passage, oh, you know, I take care of the birds, I take care of these, I take care of the flowers. Why do you have anything to worry about? Because I take care of all these things. You don't have a single thing to worry about. And yet every one of us have worried. There is a distance between what we know to be factually true and what we're experiencing at the moment. But, you know, here's the harsh thing. You're talking about a toe stopper. you talking about somebody that kind of just stomped on your toe. Here's what Jesus said at the end of that passage. He said, when you do worry, you're acting like an unbeliever. Look at the different translations. You can use the word pagan. You can use a lot of derogatory words there. But basically, he said, you know, you are not acting like somebody who really believes this truth. And and so I think it's fair game for us to go to somebody like Pilate and say, okay, here's lies that can come up in our lives that are very believable lies. They're very easy to kind of buy into, even though. I don't believe for a second that Pilate trusted Jesus Christ. I mean, I never know what happened after this fact. Maybe he thought again. Maybe he prayed a a prayer of repentance and and came back and put his trust and faith in Christ. But at this point, I, I don't think, and I'm not here to say that he is a believer. I think he's far from it. And yet I think that we can see in his response to this confrontation with Christ some things that we have to guard our own hearts against. Let me give you the first one. A believable lie. I'm in control. Now, you, again, don't raise your hand, but have you ever believed that? <laughs> I mean, we would know theoretically if we just kind of go out and, and we say, okay, sovereignty means that God is in control of everything. He really is over all things. Folks, I don't believe that there's one piece of cosmic dust that is not under the control of a sovereign God. I believe that he truly does. Not that he causes every single thing. He's given free will. But I truly believe that God is totally sovereign. In fact, the very definition of sovereignty is that you have to be totally in control. And, and I think we would believe that. Biblically, we would believe that. But has there been those times that, that we have thought that we're the ones in control? Have we believed that lie? Let's look what happens. See, that core truth gets put into, the, into a little bit of action there when uh, they bring Jesus before Pilate and Pilate kind of starts this cross-examination, this little interrogation, asking about Jesus, "Did you make this claim? They say that you're claiming to be a king, king of the Jews, and all these other things, and, and he's doing all of this, and Jesus isn't responding. He, he's silent, I and mean, even though there's a crowd out there, and they're rustling around maybe perhaps you can even hear a pin drop because there's silence. Pilate says, "Is this who you are you this claim is this true?" silence and the Bible says in Matthew that when Pilate saw that Jesus was not uh, responding it used this word that he was amazed why was he amazed because he was used to people bowing down and begging for their life before him this is a guy that did have some power Uh, more power than God no Uh, limited power in the scope of, of his reign yes but he had power And he truly was. I mean, he lived in the era of of the Caesars. Remember if you've seen gladiator movies and stuff like that? They're fighting out there on on the forum. They're they're fighting out there in, in the middle. And all of a sudden, the gladiator stands over the other one, and he looks up to who? The Caesar. And the Caesar does what? Either up and you live, or down and you die. That's some pretty awesome power. And even though Pilate isn't, this is not a, a, you know, a scene where you're out there in the middle of, of this great gladiatorial fight, he's used to it. Pilate's used to, to kind of giving the thumbs up on things or thumbs down. He's used to kind of being in control. And so he believes this lie, especially when there is no response from Jesus. Jesus doesn't say anything, so what does he do? Pilate resorts back to his own self-importance. Look what it says, John chapter 19, verse 9 and 10. John chapter 19, verse 9 and 10. He, that is, Pilate, entered into his headquarters again, and he said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Now listen to this response. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you And the authority to crucify you. Was that statement true? I got some yeses. I got some no's. I got some, I'm not going to get it wrong by guessing one or the other. Did he have that authority? In his own mind he did. I mean, kind of in a legislative way way he did. But ultimately, does he really have that power over God? No, So, so there's a little bit of truth to this statement. In the same way that you and I, as we go out there and live our lives, yes, there's a sovereign God. But do you and I kind of have a free will to go out there and make choices? Yes, God, by his sovereignty and by his ordaining, has given us free will. We're not robots. And so there's a part of this thing about us being in control that's semi-right. It's just not all the way right. And that's how most believable lies are from Satan. Satan just doesn't come out and say, man, this is going to mess up your life, so go do this. No, and what he says is, okay, this part is a half-truth. This is pretty much true. But here's where it begins to become a lie. And that's why we buy it. And so here Christ is before them. And now look what the answer Jesus gives to Pilate in verse 11. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given to you from above. And he goes on to to make this statement like, you know, hey, this is just what God has ordained playing itself out. Pilate, you think you're a major player here? (laughs) Pilate, you're you're just kind of filling the role. I mean, how many of you believe, and you can raise your hand on this one if if you you want to, how many of you believe that at, at that point, even at this point, that Jesus could have called down a thousand, if not a million angels and just wiped out the whole place? And he doesn't. Why? Because it is ordained of God. He's going to go be our redeemer. He's going to do this. He's going to drink from this cup so that you and I would have the opportunity to have a new life and be forgiven of our sins. He's going to pay that price. He said from the very beginning, I have come to seek and to save those you know, that, that are sinners. I've come for a purpose. So Jesus is just playing this out. And yet we would know that Pilate's not really in control, but Pilate tells himself, That he's in control. And folks, we do that all the time. But we believe that our utter success or failure of our lives is because of the wise or the unwise choices that we make. And certainly, please hear from me, we are responsible for choices that we make. You know, the Bible says you reap what you sow. You know, God has put into Uh, the plan of mankind, that that our choices do have ramifications. So you're never going to hear me say that our our choices do not have results. At the same time, folks, I I truly believe that a sovereign God is over all of us, that a sovereign God truly is, he knows me by name, he's intimate with my way, and when I mess up really bad, he's already covered it with the blood of Christ. See, see, that's why it's so easy to believe that, that somehow we're in control. Because there's a partial truth there. And yet, if we reside ourselves to that, then go ahead and take out that whole passage about worry. Go ahead and just cross it out of your Bible. Because if it's left totally up to you, totally up to me, you better worry. <laughs> because we don't make 100% on doing life. We, we don't do everything just right. So the first lie that's very believable is I'm in control. When we know that the reality is that God is sovereign. But well, there's a second reality that we see in this story. And, and that is that, that I can avoid somehow to, to this truth about Christ. That they bring Christ to Pilate. He's put on trial. And, and somehow that we can avoid making decisions about the way that we're going to go. And that, will, that it will go away. Now, is there a partial truth to that? That sometimes if you ignore a situation, does it go away? Sometimes, most of the time, if you ignore a situation, does it go away? But let me give you an example. You just ignore, on April 15, your taxes. You just ignore them. You say, okay, I'm going to ignore it. I'm not going to address it. I'm just not, you know, not going to pay my taxes. I'm not going to address that whole issue. Does it go away because you ignore it? No. If anything, it just gets more complicated, a lot more involved. And, and yet, Pilate begins to kind of think that if he can maybe just kind of do away with Jesus somehow, and not take full ownership of this whole thing, that somehow he can get past this, and he really doesn't have to make the ultimate decision about Christ. And he makes three different attempts to kind of play dodgeball here with Christ. The first one, he tries to pass the responsibility. Luke chapter 23. You can read it up here, uh, rather than trying to go back and find Luke 23. But Luke 23, verse uh, 1 and 2. It says, Then a whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate, And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he was a Christ, a king. Here's his claim. Now look at the response, verse 3 and 4. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in him. Okay, he says, I'm not finding guilt. I'm not really disagreeing with the claim that that he is maybe perhaps the Christ. But look where it goes. Verse 5 through 7. But they were what? Urgent. He tries to ignore. He tries to say, you know, this is not a matter. The guy's making a claim. Don't know if it's true or not. You know, let's just let it. But did the people let it go? No, they were bound and determined to have Christ, to have his hat for to see him dead. And so, so, so they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people teaching throughout Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. Now look at the next verse, verse 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. He said, Man, this worked out great. I don't have to make a decision about Christ. I can avoid making a decision that will have impact on my own life because I'm just going to send him over here. Well, that didn't work out. If you know the rest of the story, he sends him over to Herod. Herod says, I'm not going to make a decision. He kind of throws him back to Pilate. He's just like a little ping pong ball going back and forth. It's the ultimate go ask your mom. Husbands, dads, have you ever done that? You know, your kids, Jude comes up, you know, gives you this really hard thing, go, go ask your mom. You know, you just try to toss that ball over there, hoping that somehow mom's going to give an answer and take responsibility, right or wrong, for this difficult situation. Little Billy wants to go spend the night with little Johnny. But you don't know Johnny. You don't know if it's a good thing or bad. Well, go ask your mom. You just kind of pass that that responsibility off. And that's what Pilate is trying to do here. He says, great, go see Herod. Just go see Herod. But it doesn't work out, guys. Know this. Life truth, scriptural life truth. Abdicating responsibility does not absolve you from it. Abdicating responsibility—just saying it's not my decision, not my game, not my play—does not resolve you from the responsibility of it. And yet, there is a lie that very much that, that somehow, if we just kind of stand back, if we just don't get it, kind of hot or cold, that, that somehow God's going to look down on us and, and not hold us responsible. Folks, ignoring the decision does not make it go away. Sometimes, but not often. But then there's a third lie. Or I'm sorry, let me get, uh, go back to a second way that Pilate tried to get out of it. He tries to find a loophole. Remember when he did that? You know, uh, Matthew chapter 27. Again, you can either turn there or you can just look up here. Matthew 27, verse 15. Now at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing from the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. There's a really bad guy. There's Jesus, and then there's really, really this bad guy, Barabbas. And so what does Pilate do? Verse 17. So when they gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas? The really bad guy? Our Jesus who really doesn't seem to be that bad at all. He thought it was a no-brainer. But how did the crowd react? Give us Barabbas. Give us Barabbas. So he tries dodgeball. He tries finding a loophole. Finally, he tries to compromise. Uh, Look again, Luke 23. Look at verse 20. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus. Do you see that part, desiring to release Jesus? But we see the intent of of Pilate's heart. He goes, I really don't want to deal with him. I don't see fault. Over and over again, Pilate says, I don't find fault in this man. So his heart and even his head is telling him, and his wife, telling him, let let, let him go. You know, just, you know, let it go. And and yet the people are are pressing upon him, pressing for a decision, a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And so we get to this place, and he says, okay, I'll, I'll do a compromise. Verse 21 But they kept on shouting, crucify, crucify him. And a third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I found in him no guilt deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. Remember? Man, we're going to go out there, we're going to use this whip, and we're going to punish him really bad, because if what you say is true, we're going to give him some measure of punishment. And so we'll whip him. We'll even do that publicly so everybody can see that he's been publicly shamed and whipped, and he's paid for this. But did the people put up for that? No. <laughs> we don't want him whipped. We want him dead. Folks, th- there's some lines that you and I, when we're not walking in the Spirit that is filled with God's wisdom and truth, that in church we would raise our hand, yes, God is sovereign, but yet when we're out there in real life, well, maybe I am in control. There's a part of us that in church that we would say, no, this is foundational truth, this is the truth about God, and yet when we're pressed into that situation, we might say, you know, maybe I can just avoid this whole decision. Go ask mom. But there's there's a third thing here, and it's probably the the, the one that's to to me the most... uh, Devious lie of Satan ever. And that is the lie, I'm innocent. Right, look what happens. John chapter 18, verse 36. Jesus is answered, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Jesus comes out and he finally is talking now and he's giving good Truth here, and he says, look, Pilate, if you wanted a fight, believe me, I could give you a fight. In fact, you, you would not even be here anymore, Pilate. But, but I want you to know that my kingdom, what I'm representing, is not of this world. That's why I haven't called down a myriad of angels. That's why I, I'm not fighting you now. This, this is why, you know, it looks as though you're getting the upper hand. And so what happens next? Verse 37, then Pilate said to him, so, so you are a king, Jesus answered. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come to the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Verse 38. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? Is that not the question that we ask ourselves? If not, Is that not the question that we should be asking ourselves living in this world? And what is truth? Is it the pastor's version of truth? Is it this version of truth? Is it the, the newscaster on the nightly news version of truth? Is it the Republican version of truth? Is it the Democrat version of truth? Is it, you know, this, that? Is it Donald Trump version of truth? Folks, we live in a crazy world. That's why it's so important for us to have established truth. That's for us to know, okay, this we can go to and we can say, this is Truth, even when it steps all over our toes, even when it's, it kind of goes a different way that our mind, our heart wants to go, we can know that this is truth. Pilate hears before, or Christ is before Pilate, and it finally all comes down to, it. he says, "What is truth?" But if you take every one of those gospel accounts together, I believe by this point that Pilate really did have enough information. In his mind, he kept on saying, I don't find fault in this man. There's a part of Pilate that you see a little bit of believing this claim of who Christ is. Not from the Jews, but from Christ himself. And yet, what was at stake? Was his own power, his own position, his own profit. He knew that if he did not give Christ over to crucifixion, the people were going to rebel. And if the people rebelled, then the Caesar in Rome would look down and say, okay, you can't handle these people. I remove you. I'm going to put somebody else in your place. See, that's the crux of it. And here, it's easy to believe. And here, we're, we're just watching films. We're just opening up the playbook. We're just seeing the truth. And we're going, this is truth, this is truth. But we go out there when it begins to cost us something, there's something on the line. Look at the reaction of Pilate. Matthew 27, 24, and then we're closed. So when Pilate saw that he had gained nothing, but rather that a riot was beginning, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. One question. Was he innocent? Just because you tried to toss it off, just because you said, you know, that's not really what I want to do. In the end, he turns Christ over. Folks, here's the bottom line we can play church all day long. And we can go out there and read truths. We can go to the Sermon on the Mount and say, don't worry. And I'm the God over birds. I'm the God over the fish. I'm the God over these flowers. And will I not take more care of you? We can do all those things all day long. But when we get out there in that pressure situation, do we really believe that as gospel truth? Do we really believe with all of our hearts that we can sink our faith into it? Or do we try to just kind of run from it? Or say, okay, man, I'm not responsible for it. Or ultimately, maybe even I'm in control. And this all rides on my shoulders. Are you not glad that there is a God who took it upon the shoulders of his son so that it's not upon your shoulders? That is more than a song that we sing, folks. That is gospel truth. And it should permeate every decision, permeate the foundation of everything, every breath that we take. Uh, Perhaps this morning you you have tried to, to dodge a big decision in your life. You know, it's not pleasant, it's not good. And you just man, if I just ignore it, it will go away. I I'm telling you this morning, for the most part, that's probably not true. You know, you're probably gonna have to deal with it. But you're not alone. You're not left to just your wisdom and your ability and, and your uh, uh faculties to figure this whole thing out. God has said, I will give you wisdom. And James he says, you know, you need wisdom, I'll give you wisdom. But he says, What? Just don't be a double-minded man. And in other words, he's saying, just believe truth. Sink your teeth into the fact that I'm a God who cares for you. Maybe today uh, you're here and, and maybe you know about Christ. You know some things about Christ. But, but in one way, you're kind of like, you know, I haven't really made a decision about Christ. You, you think, man, maybe when I get older, maybe when life really gets serious, I'll kind of make a, a major decision about Christ. Folks, I would encourage you this day to not delay. I would encourage you this day that, you know, when, when, when God brings something of truth to your heart and to your mind, and you act upon it, because by his good grace, he brought that to your mind. I, I, I trusted Christ when I was 12 years old, and I'm so glad I did, that he opened my eyes to the gospel, and I trusted him. I'm glad I didn't wait to 13 or 14 or 15 or 16, because I, I don't know that my eyes would have been opened again today. Maybe there's something they are just really dealing with. And and, and there's a truth that you believe, and and yet you're not able to sink your teeth into that truth because of these emotions, these fears, whatever it might be, what it's going to cost you. let's, Let's learn from these deceptive lives. Folks, you're not in control. And decisions don't get better just because you ignore them. And really, you're not innocent just because you try to abstain. But we live before a holy God. And yet, here's the good news of the gospel. While we are sinners, while we have made mistakes, while none of us have earned God's glory and His favor on our own merit, He has provided for us a perfect sacrifice. In His name is Jesus Christ. Even this day, when you put your faith in Him, when you, whether you are, if, you're, if you haven't believed before, would you trust Him today? But even if you are a believer today, Will you just trust God that God really is going to be that personal God that he said he was? And that you wouldn't have facts up here, kind of thoughts, but that you really were able to live that out, breathe it out with every day of your life. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. And Father, uh, strange that we would go to someone like Pilate, try to get a cue of, of, of how to respond to deceptions in this world. And yet, Father, we see by Paul's response to, to Christ in this whole situation, that, that, Father, those are really a lot of the actions that we take. And so, Father, I, I pray today that we would be bold as we invited you in here before, Father, your spirit to come. Father, I pray that your spirit would give us truth in our lives. And, Father, maybe there is a, a mother or a father, or a husband or a wife today that has kind of abdicated some responsibility And, Father, I pray today that that you would just encourage them. Father, that you would rise them up, that you will give them wisdom, fit for the task that is before them. Father, if there's somebody here that is carrying a load of worry, Father, I pray that they would just be able to to truly trust that you're a God who gives rest to the weary. Father, for those that are carrying around guilt and, and, Father, just shame in their lives, Father, I pray that they would trust what your word says, that if we confess our sin, we bring it to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These are your truths, Father. And help us just to believe them with all our head and all of our heart and all of our life, even this day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.